0: Hey there, this is Pastor Corey, and welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. After you're done listening, I invite you to connect with us at branchlife.church to make sure you're up to date with everything going on at Branch Life. Want to share what you heard today? Subscribe to our YouTube channel and share this video with someone you want to encourage. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that this presentation helps you connect with Christ and challenges you to reach those around you with the good news of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to dive into these three chapters tonight. And the theme of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is broken religion, broken religion. Now, we're not going to be able to read all three of these chapters. So if you haven't read them yet, that's your homework assignment for this week. But we're going to give you the overall thought of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 9, and 10. And the reason we've put these three chapters together is because liter- uh, literally, literarily, writing-wise, this is a paragraph. This is a paragraph that starts in chapter 8, verse 1, and ends in the last verse of chapter 10. This is a section that all goes together. It's a giant paragraph. It has all kinds of incredible truths that we're just going to be able to skim the surface of tonight, but the best way that we can sum it up for you here is when God sent a broken man named Paul to a broken church in Corinth in a broken town, the city of Corinth, God was addressing the things that were broken, and he was offering hope and healing for each of those things. In this section, in this paragraph, he is addressing, addressing broken religion. Now, you would probably agree with me that we have the same problem now. We are surrounded by broken religion. People look to all kinds of different religions to give them purpose in life. You know, I, if I follow this system or if I follow this religion or if I follow this prophet or if I follow this teacher, I'll follow what they say and then my purpose will be found in what they've done or maybe I just grew up in a certain tradition or I grew up in a certain religion and because I've always done it that way, that's what I'm going to keep doing and, and, and then you start going through the motions of religion and trying to find purpose in that, what happens... And what's happening in our culture is many people then find it empty. As a matter of fact, if you would talk to the average person about religion, most people would have a negative reaction oh, religion. <sighs> That's done more harm than good in our, in our world and in our culture. We don't need religion. As a matter of fact, the millennials and on down all the way to the newest generation, which I just heard this week, the youngest, the newest generation, they're calling the I generation. I thought that was appropriate, right? iPhone, iPod, all that stuff. So they're calling the I generations. The I generation, all the way to millennials, so people younger than me, uh, are abandoning religion in droves. You know, they're, they're just against the institution. Of religion. They're against being kind of told what to do, and they don't find any purpose or any meaning in it. If you would travel back in time to the city, the broken city of Corinth, you would find a lot of religious people who were walking around with an empty purpose. They would go from temple to temple, and they would worship gods and goddesses, and they would be involved in different practices. And there was religions from all over the world in this one city, because it was the crossroads of the world, and so the Greeks were there with their Zeuses, and their Hercules, and their Hermes, and, and they were all hanging out, and people were worshiping those gods, and the Romans were there, and they brought their gods, and the Athenians were there, and they brought their philosophy, and their thinking, and the Jews were there, and they brought this idea of the coming Messiah, and there was all kinds of religions in between the asian religions the northern religions the southern religions and so people in corinth were real eclectic man they could pick and choose from all the different religions and they didn't have to follow any one particular system they could just kind of go with anything that they felt like worked for them and as a result the the city of corinth became one of the most morally corrupt cities of its day became known for its moral degradation. Lack of a moral compass and a guide. Whatever goes, whatever feels good, that's what I'm gonna do. And God wrote to this broken morality. We talked about bad behavior a couple of weeks ago, and now he's addressing in, in chapter eight, nine, and 10, broken religion. You see, what happened in Corinthians that, that gives us the cue that this is about broken religion is they asked Paul, their leader who had moved on to another city, this question, can we eat meat from idols? And so in chapter 8, they came to this question. Now, this question is not a bad question. It's actually probably a, a pretty innocent question. It's a pretty logical question. They wanted to please God in everything that they were doing, and so they just they were having this argument amongst themselves and amongst their community and, and some people were offering meat to idols and Christians and non Christians were taking that meat and they were like, I can eat it because the idol's not going to. And then some people were getting offended and said you shouldn't, it's unclean, and other people were were saying, No, it's not a problem, and they were just starting to have this argument, and so they finally came to their religious leader and they said, Just tell us what to do. Can we eat it or can't we? Am I right and are they wrong? Please, please tell us who's wrong. Give me purpose in my life. Right? Now, as soon as I was reading this discussion, and it's a a pretty in-depth discussion that you'll get to dive into this week if you're going to study this out, I was reminded of the time that this exact same thing happened to Jesus. You know, Jesus was teaching, and he was a religious leader, and and he was coming up in, in popularity, and so other religions started attacking Jesus. And they came to him and they said the same thing. Basically, they said, Tell us what the rules are. So they came to Jesus in Matthew 22, and one of the religious leaders, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, they said, What is the greatest commandment in the law? Just, just tell us what to do. And Jesus' answer is the same answer that Paul's going to give in this, this question about me. And it's the guiding principle for everyone who believes in God and follows Jesus. And Jesus is going to directly attack false religion. He's going to introduce to them true religion. The Bible is very, very active in attacking false religion. And it is easy for cultures and people and mind to fall into false religion. We need to guard ourselves from it. And help people out of it. But the Bible also talks about what true religion in is. Religion of itself isn't bad. Religion is just following someone who's greater than myself. My life is guided by my belief in something. But when my belief in something is wrong, then my life is wrong and meaningless. But when my belief is in truth, then my life can be guided by truth and true purpose can be found. And so Jesus in in the book of Matthew to answer this question says, here's the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law. Every rule, every principle, every guideline, every piece of counsel, all the advice that you need rests in these two commandments. And tonight we're going to see how these two commandments apply to a real random question about whether or not we can eat meat. But realize that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 9, and 10, we're going to learn three marks of true religion. Three marks of true religion. Let's pray together. God, as we open your word and we try to understand it, will you move in our lives? Will you help us take spiritual steps forward? God, will you draw us closer to you? Will you help us to be able to follow you with everything that we are? To love you with all our heart, soul, and mind, Lord, and to love our neighbors as yourself. Speak to us tonight. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the first rule that we find, the first mark of true religion is simply this. True religion says love people more than knowledge. How many of you out there would consider yourselves to be a bookworm? You're a bookworm. You, you like books. You, how many of you would be a math geek, right, or a math nerd, uh, someone who's like a historian buff, right? You got the information of everything that's happened. How many of you are human spell checkers? You know how to spell every word right, right? These these pieces of knowledge are extremely important. And there are a lot of people that academically pursue making what they know, their head knowledge, better and stronger. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks over and over again about the importance of knowing Christ, knowing who he is, knowing truth, and knowing doctrine. But there are so many religions out there that get hung up it gets stuck on just knowing more stuff and they start academically packing things into their brain this was the problem in athens where all the philosophers were where they would sit together and they would just kind of chew the fat over academic things over thinking things and they became really really brain smart but they kind of then lost true purpose and true meaning and true religion, according to this chapter, is not about what you know, it's about what you do for others. Let me show you this in, in chapter 8. Chapter 8 starts off with this summary. Knowledge, and it quotation marks, knowledge puffs up. I'm smarter than you are, right? That's kind of the idea with knowledge puffs up. This is, this is what happened every time your teacher gave back your tests in school. Do you remember? And you got your test, and you looked at the top, and there was a red mark on it. Mine always said C+. Plus. It's really exciting, right? And you're, you get yours, and you see your score, and then sure enough, the person behind you goes, what'd you get? And I was like, C+, plus, man! bam right no you're like i I don't want to show you because i don't want to and and oh you got an a plus oh you got an a plus and there was always that kid that was like what'd you get i got a 99 and i did so bad oh you got a 99 and you did so bad and they're basically just going i'm smarter than you are right knowledge puffs up when you think you know it all you can, can become a jerk christians we can get real bad at this We we claim to know and understand the truth. And then somewhere in our pursuit of truth, that knowledge of truth then causes us to become haughty, prideful, and pious. And we start looking down our nose at other people. This is exactly what Paul was warning against when he said, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. It's not that you are smarter and know more things than the people around you. True religion, when you follow Christ, you are taught to lift up people around you, no matter where they are in their, in their smarts, no matter where they are in their life. The Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. When you love someone, you build them up. If anyone loves God, God is, you, you are then known by God. It's powerful truth. He then goes on to explain. Remember, they asked if we can eat meat. He goes, We know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. So he's addressing the problem that they're having. There's so many gods, there's so many idols. The idol's not going to eat the meat because we happen to know that the idol is not real. That is true knowledge. We know that as a fact. But that is not the most important factor in whether or not you eat the meat. Yes, you can eat the meat because the idol's not going to eat the meat. That's not the problem. The problem is your brother. If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. You see, a lot of false religion says, I'm right and you're wrong. A lot of false religion says, it's my way or the highway. A lot of false religion is puffing yourself up and putting other people down. Paul is saying true religion, true religion is not putting other people down based on what you know, but it's lifting other people up. So if you love people more than knowledge then it will show in the way you live your life. True religion asks the question, what do you give up for the sake of others? What do you give up for the sake of others? So what do we do with this truth in chapter eight? Well, number one, let's give up legalistic pride. Let's give up legalistic pride. Legalistic pride says what I'm doing is right and what you are doing is wrong and there's no gray area in between. Legalistic pride takes the letter of the law and applies it to yourself and then you go ahead and apply it to everybody else no matter what they believe. And you actually think you're better than them because you're living legalistically in a way that someone else is not. Legalistic pride judges your neighbor instead of loving your neighbor. Legalistic pride causes you to walk into church and not look up at God, but look at other people and see what they are doing wrong legalistic pride needs to be something that we give up if we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus ate with people that were doing things they shouldn't do on a regular basis. He fellowshiped with them. He loved them and he built relationships with them. Are you willing to give up your head knowledge? Are you willing to set aside the things that you know even though you know they're doing it wrong? Are you willing to say, hey, I'm, I'm not just smarter than you. I could be wrong. My opinion, my head knowledge might not be right. You know, if more Christians presented their truth as, this is what I believe, but I realize I'm fallible, I realize my brain's not perfect, and I'm going to respect and understand your way, even though it's different than mine, whew, conversations would change. For the sake of your brother, are you willing to give up your preferences? Are you willing to give up your preferences if it means that you can build up another person? I like the music this way. So it, sh- it should be but they like the music that way. Instead of ch- instead of fighting in the church about which music I like, we should be fighting in the church about which music you like. That should be the conversation. I want to do what you want to do, not what I want to do. I'm going to give up my preferences so that we can reach out to other people, so that we can build up other people. And it's all kinds of places where your preferences are you willing to give up comfort whoo man oh man are you willing to give up comfort are you willing to give up the safety net that that bank account gives you are you willing to give up the comfort of living in the nicer home or having the more expensive car are you willing to give up and leave even your neighborhood if God would call you to go to another neighborhood if it meant building up other people Man, what if God called you to another country where it's riskier, where it's more dangerous and there's more coronavirus? Would you be willing to give up your comfort, to give up your safety, to give up all the stuff that you have built for yourself for the sake of other people? Are you willing to give up your rights? Yes, they had the right to eat the meat. It wasn't sin. It was actually the correct answer, but are you willing to give it up for the sake of someone else? if it's gonna cause them to stumble. And in giving these things up, you are in act loving other people. That's the message of chapter eight. Then Paul goes on to chapter nine and he gives a third mark of true religion. He says, remember this, and this is massive. True religion says, remember our purpose is reaching people. So if true religion's mark is that we, we love people more than knowledge, true religion's purpose is reaching people. True religion's purpose is reaching people. And in through chapter 9, you're going to get a beautiful explanation of how knowing Jesus Christ and how understanding the truth and the good news of the gospel totally transforms the way you think, the way you act, and the way you live in this world. So your purpose is based on the person of Jesus Christ. Your purpose is based on the news of the gospel. You were once a sinner, Well, you still are a sinner. You're a sinner. And your sin meant that you were separated from God. As sinners, our our eternal destiny is headed for a lake of fire. But Jesus Christ came, fully man and fully God, and he died on the cross to pay the punishment for our sin. And he rose again from the dead three days later, proving everything that he said was true, So that you could have eternal life in heaven. So that you could accept the free gift of salvation. We cannot earn our way to heaven. We can only be given it through the gift of salvation. The practice of the gospel gives us purpose. Your life's purpose is then to reach people. Our church's purpose is then to reach people. Turn with me to Romans chapter 9. Let's look at verses 19 through 23. In Romans chapter 9 and verse 23, excuse me, in verse 19, we'll read this. For though I am free from all, in other words, I'm free, I have liberty, I have grace, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it gives me free standing. Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may do what? Win more of them. He gives then some examples. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I may win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside of God's law, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak. I became weak, that I may win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. When you know that your sins have been forgiven because Jesus came and died on the cross for you, and you've accepted the free gift of salvation, you have received the gospel. Your purpose then becomes to share the gospel with as many people as possible before you enter into glory. That becomes your life's mission. And so Paul says in this paragraph that he does everything that he does to win more of them, that by all means I might save some. Now, every theologian in the room just went, Paul, 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 Paul. You don't save anybody. Paul, 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 come on, man. It's not your job to save people. It's God's job to save people. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. See what I know? See what my knowledge says? I'm looking at Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and Paul says, I have the responsibility to save some. Of course we know it's God who gives the increase. But God says, some would are and some plant. That seems to me to be action verbs. That seems to me to be marching orders. And when Paul emphasizes what true religion says, it says, hey, when we love our neighbors, the most loving thing we can do is give them the gospel. To show them what eternity could be different. To share with them the blessings that God gives to those that follow him. He says it's all about it for the sake of the gospel. You see, true religion is totally transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. True religion is founded on the gospel. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 26, he says, So, do not run aimlessly. Do not run aimlessly. And do not, I do not box as one beating the air. So you're in here tonight, and you may, have, you may be a, a Christian. You're someone who's following Lord Jesus Christ. And if I would ask the question, how many of you hope that somebody gets saved in your life this year? Every good Christian would raise their hand and say, me, me, I hope that someone gets saved. Probably every church that believes the gospel, if we would go to that church and we say, hey, do you hope that people get saved this year in your church? Everybody in their church would go, me, me, I hope people get saved. The Bible says very clearly in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, it's not enough just to hope that people get saved. We're supposed to have a plan. It's kind of like if you were a boxer, right? And I, I brought these handy-dandy sparring gloves with me so that you would never forget this point. Here's what we're not supposed to do when we're boxing. I'm, I'm going to get you. I'm gonna I'm going to... I'm going to beat you, right? Look at me. I'm a, I'm a boxer. I'm, I'm a boxer. I hope that I knock out my opponent. I'm going to get him. That's dumb, right? That's kind of stupid. That is most Christians' approach to reaching people for Jesus. I hope you get saved It'd be really nice someday if maybe you would know Jesus. I just I'm gonna just cross my fingers and maybe one of these will land. No. He says, like an athlete, we have a plan. Like an athlete who disciplines themselves. That's the whole part of this section of the Bible. We come at it not as someone boxing the air, but someone who is intentionally seeking out ways that they can save people. You know, Paul became like a Jew so that he could win the Jews. Bam, knockout. For people that were following a certain law, he followed that law so he could win them. Knockout. He became all things to all men and when someone was weak, he came weak so that he would be able to win them for Christ's knockout. And wherever Paul went, whether he was on a ship, whether he was in jail, whether he was traveling, whether he was on house arrest, whether he was in Corinth helping a broken church, he was always having conversations, he was always talking to people and meeting up with people, he was always having a strategy and a plan so that people around him would come to Christ. Like a disciplined athlete, he was going after people. So, I don't know if I can advance this with the gloves on. Don't just hope people get saved. Don't just hope. Have a specific plan and work hard so that you might save some. Oh, but but Josh, it's not me that saves people. It's God. I know. But he wants to use you. And by God's will and grace, if you have a plan, if you go after it, if you're active in it, God will use you to reach many people with the good news. Why not you? Why not your friends? Why not your family? So if you don't know how this works, I'm going to give you a simple plan. It's not just your purpose to reach people, it's the church's purpose to reach people. We as a church have a plan. We're not just hopelessly beating into the air. We're strategically making plans and we're working hard at reaching people for Jesus. We get together every Sunday and we worship God and we open his word. That's super important. That's something you need to be a part of and invite other people to be a part of. We have small groups and you should ask yourself, how can I build my group? How can I connect people in my group what can our group do to reach more people we're all in this together as a team and so in just a couple of weeks we're going to launch a brand new series that is designed to give the gospel to people who are skeptical what will you do what is your plan for inviting people to the prove it series all you need is a card all you need to do is ask them all you need to do is give out the information it's super easy strategy what about easter what can you do for easter and then individually, we've, we've preached this over and over again, and we want you to pray, invest, invite. Every day, pray for people to get saved. That's the plan. Every day, pray by name for people to come to Christ. Are you doing it? If you're not doing it, that means you're not being disciplined. That means you're randomly flailing your arms in the air saying, I hope, I hope, I hope, when you should be on your knees saying, God, please, God, please, God, please. And if we get this prayer thing down every day, the rest is history. Wait and see what God does in your life. As you're praying, then invest. Build relationships. Be a person who loves your neighbor. Go mentor in the middle school. Go help with the Potstown Area Children's Foundation. Be a part of serving your neighbors and your town and your coworkers and your teammates. And then open your mouth and invite them to Christ. Have the conversation in your car. Make the phone call. Shoot the text message off. Record your testimony video. Get baptized. We'll record your video. We'll post it online for you. Then follow up with everybody and see what God does. But let's do this together. This is what we are a part of as Branch Life Church, reaching people with the good news of the gospel. So ask this question, are people in my life getting saved? Ask yourself, are people in my life getting saved? Yes or no? If the is no, what needs to change? Prayer first. Invest always. Invite regularly. What can you do to see people come to Christ? And the third lesson that we give, and we'll end our time with this, is, is the overarching ending. True religion says in chapter 10, love God and love people. True religion says in chapter 10, to love God and love people. So your life's practice should be to love God and to love people. Your, our church's practice should be to love God and to love people. That is what we do. That is why we gather, to love God and to love people. So he sums up the entire conversation in this paragraph in this way. So whether, therefore, you eat or drink, whether you eat the meat or not, or whatever you do, do all of it for the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Don't, don't offend your brothers. Don't offend your people around you. But just as I try to please everything and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, they may, so that they may be saved. Some of you in here tonight have really been offensive to other people. You've treated people poorly. You've talked to them in a harsh way on the phone. You have lashed out with your words or with your actions. You have torn people down. Listen, Christian, we should not be people that tear other people down. For the sake of the gospel, we should be building other people up. Now, if God would call you to a conversation with that person that you railed on the phone, with that coworker that you just let have it, with that family member that you spent the evening yelling at and then mad at, And God said, you need to tell them about the gospel. Are they going to receive it? No. This is what Paul is saying. You may even be right and they might even be wrong. That doesn't give you a reason to offend them or to hurt them or to attack them. But instead, as Christians, whatever we do, whether it is in our cars driving through traffic whether it's visiting with family and friends, whether it's in the office, whether it's on the playing field, whatever it is we do, we do for the glory of God. And we give God the glory for that day, for that breath, for that moment, for that privilege, for that opportunity. We give God the glory for his provision. We give God the glory for his power, for his, for the health that we have, for the breath that we breathe. We give God the glory for all of it because God says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And the strength that you have comes from Christ. You can choose to complain about your day. You can choose to be upset by things. You can choose to be overwhelmed. But God simply says, Christian, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. So instead of being upset and being overwhelmed and being stressed out and being angry. We are to give God the glory and say, praise you, hallelujah. I will walk through this with your strength and in your help. And then God receives the glory so that people around us can get saved. So many of us are so distracted by our own weights, cares, concerns, and lives that we're not even noticing the lost around us. Give it to God. He'll give you the strength. Glorify God and watch people come to Christ. That's our mission. So whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God so that they might be saved. So do everything for the glory of God so that they might be saved. How do we fix broken religion? Listen. If you're a part of a religion that doesn't believe in the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you into a personal relationship with God tonight. And it's pretty simple. God can only be glorified. God is only glorified when we're walking in the person and work of Jesus. So if you're here tonight and you say, I don't have meaning or I don't know what my religion is or what I've been following, tonight I want to invite you to follow Jesus. He's calling you to a relationship with himself And it's as simple as saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died and rose again for my sins, and I want to accept the free gift of salvation. You can do that right now in this moment. After the service, we're going to have prayer team members up here, and if you have questions about faith, what it means to follow God, or how to get saved, come up and talk with one of those prayer team members. We'd love to do that. But if you're trying to fix broken religion, ask yourself this question, is God glorified in this action, in this work, in this conversation, in this choice? And then number two, are people getting saved? Are people getting saved? That's what God calls us to do when he calls us to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. So what do we do? Worship God passionately. Man, worship God passionately. Every chance you get, every opportunity, worship God on that morning walk. Worship God when we sing together in church. Worship God in those quiet moments of prayer. And then do everything you can to love your neighbor and support people around you who are doing the work of building other people up. Tomorrow night on our Facebook live chat, we're going to talk about three ways you can help people go to heaven. So join us for that. Spread the word that it's going to happen. We'll share the gospel during this time for people that are interested in hearing it. But tonight I want to allow you to reflect for just a couple of minutes on what God may have for you tonight. So what what is your plan to reach people for Christ? What can you do specifically to, to love your neighbor, what can you do to strengthen your prayer life? What can you do to invest in others? What can you do to invite people to Jesus? Would you spend a couple minutes and ask the Holy Spirit to talk to you about your response tonight? And then for all of you that have joined us tonight, we'd love for you to fill out these cards. We'll collect them at the dismissal time. If you have any prayer requests, if you'd like to take any next step steps, let us know, and uh, we'll follow up with you through this time. Let's bow for a time of quiet reflection.